Welcome back to Bakes by the Lake, or Takes by the Bake, or Bakes by the Bake, I don't know. Baker Mayfield! <laughs> Baker Mayfield! It's Takes by the Lake. It still takes by the lake. Maybe we'll change it. If he ever comes on, we'll change it. It's Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com. Here for your weekly Friday podcast. And we're talking about the Browns. We're talking about what happened on Thursday night in the first Browns preseason game. We're going to get to my guest, familiar voice and face. But first, Buffalo people are mad at me. I wrote a column from my basement after watching the game. Mary Kay Cabot and Dan Labe were there. Uh, I wrote about Josh Allen a lot because Josh Allen uh, had some incompletions in his rookie debut for the Buffalo Bills. And while watching Baker Mayfield and Tyrod Taylor, uh, part of me was also watching Twitter and thinking, thank goodness Josh Allen's not in Cleveland. And remembering the time when it seemed like that might happen. And so an important thing has happened here. NFL fans and Browns fans. Uh, uh, Cleveland doesn't have the craziest quarterback situation in the NFL. Um, Buffalo does. because And Buffalo has it because they drafted Josh Allen. They traded up to draft Josh Allen at seven. And he's a guy with a huge arm and a big body and, a, and some wildness, right? They brought in A.J. McCarron, who's the guy that Hugh Jackson wanted last year. And they still have Nathan, Nathan Peterman, who is the guy... Man, I should write this specifically. Buffalo would really be mad about that. They have Nathan Peterman, who's the guy they benched Tyrod Taylor for for a game last year, and he was so awful they put Tyrod Taylor back in. So, like, so much of the Buffalo quarterback situation is wrapped up with the Browns quarterback situation because the three Bills quarterbacks are the guy the Browns could have drafted, the guy the Browns wanted to trade for, and the guy who caused them to bench the guy last year, who now is the Browns quarterback and is also the guy that led Buffalo to the playoffs last year. And right now, you'd rather have the Browns quarterback room. No doubt. And Buffalo got mad at me. So if you want to read my column off the game at cleveland.com slash OSU, I take some lighthearted shots at Josh Allen, and and Buffalo people um, are angry. Someone tweeted at me, any particular reason you spend half your article bashing Josh Allen? Just curious. And my answer is, there's, there's not a particular reason, but the main reason is thinking, my goodness, that could be the Browns, and I'm so happy it's not. Someone else asked, wow, Doug, why juxtapose your Browns to the Bills in order to praise them? I mean, how much of your piece was dedicated to drawing a comparison? You sound insecure. No, you sound insecure, because all I'm saying is, I'm glad the Browns aren't the Bills, all right? So Buffalo is angry. And Cleveland should be happy about the quarterback situation. And isn't that a glorious thing to say? So, we're not only going to talk about quarterbacks. We're going to talk about all different things we saw in the Browns preseason game that everybody's excited about, but a lot of quarterbacks. And it's with our friend, your friend and mine, Chris Fedor from Cleveland.com, who covers the Cavs for us, but also is a guy who has a lot of smart opinions about a lot of different things in Cleveland sports, including this. So we talk about the quarterback, we talk about John Dorsey, we talk about Hugh Jackson, we talk about the things that you're talking about. Thanks for being here to tune in for this. A couple quick notes. Read me at cleveland.com slash, well, not slash anything, just cleveland.com. You'll find me. It's the guy with the weird name. Subscribe to Takes by the Lake, where you subscribe to find podcasts. 
listen to our other podcast, Orange and Brown Talk. That's Mary Kay Cabot and Dan Labay on the Browns. Chris Fedor, Joe Varden on the Cavs. That's Wine and Gold Talk. Cleveland Baseball Talk, Joe Noga. Paul Hoynes on the Tribe. And me, Tim Bielek, Bill Landis on Ohio State. That's Buckeye Talk. For now, this is Takes by the Lake. It's all about the Browns. We'll continue to have a variety of guests uh, in the coming weeks, in the coming months. Don't normally go in-house, um, but I wanted to wait until after the preseason game so we could talk about it. And uh, Chris was a good guy to talk about it with. So thanks to you guys for listening. Here's Chris Fedor. Here with media mogul Chris Fedor on Takes by the Lake. Fedor, is it possible at all that it's a problem for the Browns to have too many good quarterbacks? <laughs> or is this abundance of competence only a godsend for Cleveland football? Oh, my gosh. What a good problem to have, Doug. I actually <laughs> tweeted earlier today, this is, a, this is an organization that hasn't been able to find a quarterback in more than a decade. Um, so to go into preseason, and I don't even think it's just a takeaway from last night's preseason game against the Giants, but to go into the preseason feeling like you have two competent quarterbacks, I think there's a lot of conversation about how good Tyrod Taylor is, where he ranks among quarterbacks in the NFL, but he's a competent quarterback who understands how to play the position, who understands how to lead guys. He's a grown-up in that building. Um, and then Baker Mayfield, the number one overall pick, who I think um, continues to show at every different step of this process why he was the number one pick. To have those two guys leading the quarterback room, I think it's just I, – I think it's, it's something that uh, you're surprised by because you're not used to it in Cleveland, but what a great problem to have for this organization. Baker is obviously the guy that's, that's the most fun to talk about. So let's talk about him. So here, of course. here's the thing. And I saw, I think I saw you tweet about this too. And here's the thing on this feed, or if people are looking for a lot of disagreement on this podcast this week, I don't think they're going to get it. Cause I think you and I view the Browns, view their strategy, view where they are, view what they've done, view what they can be in a lot of the same ways. But uh -huh. I think there is a point to be made here. And I saw you make it in a tweet that, there were people that were so skeptical about Baker Mayfield, about his size, about his swagger, about his crotch, about his headband, about all these things. And I'm not going to say the guy's name that people brought up. But, but if you believed that he was a, a smart pick and a guy who could very quickly be a good NFL quarterback and still had that upside to be a franchise quarterback, then if you thought that, which is what I think you thought and is what I thought, then all you're seeing now is what you expected to see, right? Like, you're not shocked by this, are you? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, this is who he is. This is who he was in college, Doug. It's not surprising at all. It's not surprising to see him be pinpoint with his accuracy, right? It's not surprising to see him um, get hit with a rush and not panic in the face of that and keep his eyes downfield. He showed those things in college if anybody was paying attention. And I think the thing that people get caught up, caught up with in the draft, Doug, is it's like it's such a long process. So you kind of have to go through everything about the guy. And almost by the end of it, you're nitpicking him yeah. um, because you're looking for something new something fresh, something different that maybe you missed the first time around. 
Um, and, and the thing that I always said with Baker, um, and again, this isn't just because he, he tore it up in his first preseason game. It, it was throughout the entire process. It's like, focus on the things that matter. Focus on the things that actually prevent a guy from being a successful NFL quarterback. And I always said, like, who is the NFL quarterback that succeeded, um, you know, uh, based on all of these particular traits that Baker has. And you're going to have a long list, right? Guys that were efficient and guys that had the accuracy and guys that had the pocket awareness. And then you could look at some of the perceived negatives and then you could ask yourself the question in a different kind of way. Like, what, what quarterback failed simply because he wasn't tall enough? <laughs> you know? Right. What, what quarterback failed simply because he was too cocky or um, too competitive, or because he, he played in the Big 12 and there were a bunch of wide-open passing windows. It was just like small things that, that didn't really matter. Um, and I think you saw last night with Baker, like the strengths that he brings to the table are all qualities that some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL have. And it doesn't mean that he's absolutely going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. That's up to him. It's up to the coaching staff. It's up to how they develop him. It's up to the situation that he's put in. But the qualities and the traits that the top quarterbacks have, he has. And I think that's a great start. It's a great foundation to work off of. Some of the throws he made last night when he just um, makes that quick decision out of the shotgun, surveys the middle of the field, sees what's there, and zips one of those intermediate routes 12 to 15 yards down the middle of the field I mean he he destroyed Ohio State with that kind of stuff and when he does it well he makes it look easy which is the whole point of this all the things a lot of the things that and I'm not saying he's Tom Brady of course that's ridiculous but when the best of the best do things a lot of times they make it look easy and it's like well why can't everybody do that (laughs) and then you have people in here that that make everything look hard and so I think there's there's credit to be given to Todd Haley and the type of situations and plays he was putting Baker Mayfield in last night. And there's credit to be given for some receivers who made some plays when given the chance. If Antonio Callaway doesn't make that catch on his fingertips when Baker puts it right on the money for the 54-yard touchdown, then we're not talking about it. Antonio Callaway has to make the play, but Baker can make the throw. So it feels like Baker is ready for this, and maybe with the play callers and some of the playmakers – they can help facilitate an entire offense through this. And I want to ask you about the receivers now. Are, are the Browns good enough at receiver? Josh Gordon's going to be back, everyone's assuming. We'll assume that for now. But with Callaway and with Jarvis Landry and with Higgins, is that enough? Do you feel good about Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield having the right guys to catch it, or do you think they need more? So I think that's a fair question, Doug. And I guess my answer to that is, if we're just solely talking about the wide receiver position, I think there should be some concern there. I think there are gigantic question marks behind Jarvis Landry. But the great thing about the NFL is sometimes running backs line up as wide receivers, right? Yeah. Sometimes tight ends line up as wide receivers. So I think if the conversation is a bit broader and you're talking about pass catchers or offensive weapons, then I think, believe it or not, there are enough of those. You saw it with Njoku last night, the two catches that he made for a touchdown. Duke Johnson, I think um, what he accomplished last year for the Browns 
showed the kind of dynamic, versatile offensive weapon that he can be. So now all of a sudden you start to talk about just playmakers and pass catchers and include Njoku, include Duke Johnson, maybe include Chubb. And you start to talk about more of a broader picture of, of what these guys have to work with. And I do think that um, they do have enough. And I think they do have some exciting pieces um, that are going to allow them um, to, to be in a situation where it's not about them having to take all these guys and make them better. It's a situation that is mutually beneficial for all parties. And I know that uh, Jake Burns, who's a film guy I like, who does some good work in Cleveland, has, has talked about like when, when Njoku's standing up and he's not a, a hand-on-the-ground tight end and, and – mm-hmm the way you use him as a weapon that way. And the idea that, that Duke Johnson can be in the backfield, he can be out in slot, he can motion, um, he can do different things. It feels like you have two guys there who both can sort of play um, two different positions. And then you still have running backs. You still have Seth the valve and fells. And um, I, I, I get that. I get that. It, and I don't want to go, I don't want to go too much backwards here. I want to talk about it like a tiny bit with you looking backwards uh, and, and talk about he who shall not be named by a lot of the fan base, <laughs> but that who should get all the credit from guys like you and me and everyone knows who we're talking about. But I do a little, not even a little part of me. There's a medium part of me that just wishes Corey Coleman could have gotten to one preseason game to get to try to be part of that last night and to see what he would have looked like. I have a hard time believing that Antonio Callaway, as a rookie who didn't play in college last year, could go out and have that kind of game in the first preseason game, and that Corey Coleman would have been enable to flash some things with quarterbacks who put the ball on his hands and with a play caller who put him in a position to get open and make some plays. Should there be any regret about that with Corey Coleman? Yeah, I think so. I think so, Doug, because look, whether, whether you liked Corey Coleman or not, he was a, a first-round talent. Um, and if you didn't believe that he was a first-round talent, he was probably a high second-round talent coming out of Baylor. But at the same time, you also knew that he was coming out of Baylor. It's not an advanced passing system. And you knew that he was going to need some polishing and he was going to need some work. And wide receiver is a tough position for a rookie to learn already. Like what Michael Thomas is doing down in New Orleans, that doesn't always happen. What Odell Beckham Jr. did in his first year with the New York Giants, what made it so great is that it's rare to see that happen. And when it does happen, you're like blown away by it. So Corey Coleman was always somebody who was going to take some time he was always going to need polishing. And then if you talk about the quarterbacks that he played with, like if you're holding against him the production that he didn't put up as a first-round pick, a lot of that ties into who did he play with at quarterback and how was he used by the coaching staff. Right. Uh, It's not an independent conversation. If you want to have an independent conversation about Corey Coleman – then watch every single snap, every single route that he ran independent of his productivity. And I think you can say the way that he played against a cornerback like Dre Kirkpatrick of the Cincinnati Bengals, the way that he was able to get himself open against Jalen Ramsey, one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL of the Jacksonville Jaguars, but you could see enough flash of talent with Corey Coleman where you didn't have to sit there and call him a bust and say that he couldn't play. 
Like, if you came away from some of those games about Corey Coleman saying that he's a bust, he can't play in the NFL and there's no place for him, then I don't know what you were watching. Like, if you didn't like him because he dropped too many passes and because you thought he was a bad guy for the locker room, okay, we can probably have that conversation. But that's something that I was thinking about last night, Doug, is that, you know, this is a 24-year-old kid who had first-round ability or second-round ability, and Baker Mayfield um, and him together probably would have created some fireworks. And I wish they would have given it a chance to let it happen. Yeah, and it was kind of strange. It was like you sort of – after the deal, I guess you had to assume, well, maybe there's something we don't know. Maybe there's more to this. Maybe it is more of a, of a thing. They just don't want him around the team anymore. But then John Dorsey, when he was talking to reporters in New Jersey last night with Mary Kay and Dan and people there, it's like he was saying on-field stuff. Like, oh, we just – and it's like, really? I oh, guess for a seventh rounder? If it's on-field, if that's a big part of it, for a seventh rounder, like it wasn't – you couldn't just try, like try one right. game to see. That's just a little frustrating. But I don't. It's not gonna. That's not gonna be the difference between whether the Browns become a Super Bowl team or not, whether they got rid of Corey Coleman. So I don't want to. No, I agree with that. But but I think at the same time, Doug, it kind of like brings up a bigger picture conversation about John Dorsey. Like, it does you know what I'm saying? It does and if the idea of. And I know, and let's let's get to this, because I think one of the things here is that we know Browns fans have dealt with it. This is not the first time people have been excited about the Browns in the preseason. And, and the question is, is this any different? Is this any different? Every time Browns fans have any reason for optimism, that optimism proves to be foolish. Not that they were foolish to have it, but that the Browns let them down. Fans mm. should be excited. Is this any different and then we'll get to that next conversation which is the continued issues over the years of I want my guys get rid of the guys who were here with the old regime and at some point that has to stop and let the Browns be the Browns who cares how they got here and who brought them in let the Browns be the Browns but Chris right now if there is optimism today in Cleveland and there is is this different from past optimism well, it's different from a talent standpoint, I think, because it's, it's not very often that over the last 10 years, Doug, that the Browns have had a playmaker like Jarvis Landry, who is, I don't know, what, top 10 wide receiver in the game, top 15 wide receiver in the game. So you added that kind of talent to the mix. And it's rare that you have a guy like Tyrod Taylor, who is a pro quarterback. And this isn't Jake DeLome here, because Jake DeLome at the time that the Browns brought him here was towards the end of his career. He was coming off a horrible playoff run. You know, Tyrod Taylor is 29 years old, yep. um, and he's somebody who, uh, wherever he has gone, at the very least, has shown himself to be competent. Yep. Um, so that's different, too. And because of all of these high draft picks that they've made recently, you knew that eventually there was going to be some internal growth with this organization. Miles Garrett was going to get better. <coughs> Emmanuel Ogbo was going to get better with time. Jabril Peppers, you were hoping, was going to get better with time. So this was kind of the year that the previous regime was always focused on in terms of internal growth and how they could potentially make the leap if everything came together from an organizational standpoint. Um, so I do think it's different from that standpoint, Doug. But the problem is, oh, I, I keep going back to what could possibly hold them back. And in the NFL, it's about coach mm -hmm. and quarterback. 
Like so many people have focused on quarterback and I get it because it was Deshaun Kaiser last year and it was Cody Kessler and it was Brian Hoyer and Johnny Mansell and all those other things. But in the NFL, your ceiling is coach and quarterback. And I, I think Hugh Jackson's the kind of guy that can hold this team back from taking that step that you expect them to take. And I think Greg Williams is the kind of guy that can hold this defense back from taking the logical step that it's probably capable of making. So I think they're ready to compete, Doug, from a talent standpoint. I simply do not think they have a coaching staff that's on par or even middle of the road with all the other coaching staffs in the NFL. And I think that's where they could potentially get exposed. Yeah, it, it's one of those things. No Browns fan, and I've written about this at times in the last couple of months, no Browns fan should have to go out and, and somehow root against their team because mm-hmm. they're hoping the Browns lose so that Hugh gets fired. You know, that is not where Browns fans should be or deserve to be. That, that, that is not how you go about being a fan. So, right. you know what? If the Browns, the Browns go 12-4 and four and Hugh gets a 10-year extension, listen, babe, like, like, let's do it. Fine. Let's go. But, but I don't think that's what's going to happen, and I don't think that's what you think is going to happen. So I do think it's going to be very interesting this year. And you hear this from – I've seen national people write this, that the Browns are just so interesting. Because they have the talent that flashes. They have it at all these different positions. Do they have 22 great starters? No. Do they have all the depth they need? Do they have 44 great guys on the two deep? No. But they're farther along than they've been. And what we're going to really see, I think we're going to see them compete, legitimately compete more each week. And you might see more instances, Chris, of, man, one decision. Yep. One thing here. They they got a stupid penalty. They didn't get the they didn't get a play call in in time. They went for it or they didn't yeah. go for it or the the package they had in what and you say that cost them the game. And I yeah. think it's possible that the Browns win 4, 5, 6, 7 games somewhere in there, but you also think wow. They really could have won more. Yeah. Somebody else coaching them could have gotten more out of this team. That's sort of the season I'm expecting. Is that sort of the season you're expecting? Yeah, absolutely, Doug. And I think there were a lot of instances of that last year, weren't there? <laughs> yeah, and, and everybody says, and I've talked to the analytics people, they won zero. Every, every stat you look at analytically would show you they should have won three or four. Yeah, how many games were decided by three points or how many games right. were within a touchdown going into the fourth quarter? where a head coach or a quarterback could potentially make a difference for you. So now you have a quarterback who could potentially make that difference for you um, in Tyrod Taylor um, or Baker Mayfield. If he gets his opportunity, you have a playmaker like Jarvis Landry who can go out and make a game changing play. Maybe a guy like Antonio Callaway emerges and he can make one of those kinds of plays. Maybe Njoku emerges and he can make one of those kinds of plays. But the other layer to this is, whether or not they have a coach who is going to maximize the talent that they have, um, put the team in the best position to succeed. And I just don't know that they do from a defensive coordinator standpoint in Greg Williams, who I believe that the game has started to kind of pass him by. He's very old school in his thinking. Um, He gives up way too many easy completions because of the way that he handles things on the defensive side of the ball. 
And then, of course, the problems that, that Hugh Jackson showed that he had in his first two years as a head coach. And it wasn't just he didn't have enough talent. Like, he didn't do a good enough job from a coaching standpoint. And he had his own complications as a head coach. So I, I do think it's that kind of thing, Doug. And I think that's unfortunate um, because that's something that's very, very hard um, for players to get past, right? Like, they can look at a team and they can say, we're probably not talented enough. And sometimes you just have to accept that fate. Not like they, they want to lose or anything along those lines, but you can look at it and say, yeah, eh, we don't have the quarterback to compete this weekend. You right. know what I'm saying? Or we don't have the quarterback to actually get some of these victories done. But there is a real belief, it seems, among the players that the talent is different and there is something special brewing here. And if it's a coach that holds them back from that, um, I think that's something that's hard to get over from a player's standpoint. One other thing that I'm a, that I'm a little I'm not concerned about, I'm curious about, and again, it's a tendency that we've seen in Cleveland, is John Dorsey traded Danny Shelton. He actually got a little more for that um, with third round pick, also given up, I think, a fifth rounder to do it. But but he got he got a decent pick for Danny Shelton. He gives up Corey Coleman. You wonder if there would be another guy that was sort of a, a major pickup for Sashi Brown that he would let go because he's maybe in part because he's not his guy. We know what John Dorsey said when he got here about the previous regime not acquiring enough real players. Do you have any concerns about that? That again, it, it, they're Browns. They're Browns. They're Browns. They're Browns. They're Browns. I don't. It doesn't. And I know people get tired. I've heard from people who say, like, they don't want to hear about Sashi Brown anymore. You've probably heard that. <laughs> they don't want to hear about Sashi Brown anymore. I think everybody knows there was some groundwork laid here. But at some point, the Browns are the Browns. Yep. Do you have any concern about that with Dorsey about maybe, like, listen, you're, you're building something here. Add. Add Tyrod Taylor. Add Jarvis Landry. Add Chris Hubbard. Add um, Randall and Hyde. Add. But don't subtract – just for the sake of subtracting because this happened to be a player that was here before you got here. Yes, 100% I'm concerned about that with John Dorsey. Um, and I think some of the things that he has said um, over the last couple of weeks, couple of months, Doug, are very contradictory. Um, and, and it makes me worried that, that he does see a different, um, a different breakdown with the roster in terms of my guys versus guys that were here before or labeled Sashi guys. Right. And I think if, if somebody is labeled a quote unquote Sashi guy, unless they're, you know, Miles Garrett, which is just obvious for everybody. Um, but if they are labeled a quote unquote Sashi guy, I, I simply do not believe this general manager is going to give them as much of a rope as he would with his own guy. Mm -hmm. Now, whether that's reality in the NFL or not is a conversation that anybody can have. And, and this is a stuff that happens with other teams around the NFL. And it's just the way that some general managers are programmed. But it doesn't mean that I have to agree with it. And it doesn't mean that I have to believe that John Dorsey is right in this kind of evaluation or this kind of stance. Like, he, he's going to make a call to Des Bryant and he's going to bring him in for a workout. Right. But the yep. characteristics of Des Bryant are very similar to the things that the Browns said they didn't like about Corey Coleman. So that just doesn't jive with me at all. It's either you, you believe that there are certain traits that you can't deal with as an organization and you don't want in your locker room, 
or there aren't. It shouldn't be about the name on the back of a jersey. And I think too often when it comes to John Dorsey, it has become more about the name on the back of the jersey as opposed to the front of the jersey and whether that name on the back of the jersey has Sashi Brown attached to it or John Dorsey attached to it. Um, And I don't like that at all. Uh, And I don't like the fact that they got a seventh-round pick in 2020 for a first-round wide receiver in Corey Coleman, who's 24 years old, who has a ton of potential, who has flashed a lot of potential. And now they may turn around in a week and bring in Des Bryant, who Dallas wanted nothing to do with, who had to hire a babysitter for him, who berates quarterbacks on the sidelines, who has a history of um, questionable uh, nightlife and, and whether his focus is completely on the game or not. Like, if, if that's not what you wanted in your locker room and that's part of the reason why you got rid of Corey Coleman, then don't bring Des Bryant here just because you're desperate for a wide receiver or desperate to fill a wide receiver spot that you created because you didn't want a Sashi Brown guy around. Chris, I'll let you go with this one, and I think it's the big picture question, and I don't want people to listen to this and think that you and I are like searching for negatives about the Browns because I think there's a lot of good things happening with mm-hmm. the Browns, and I, I know you do too. And, and here's the point I, w- I want to make, and then I want to ask you one last question. The thing that matters to me is they are – Something is happening here, and what that means is all the little details matter. The nuances matter. Every little decision matters, and they are in this area where they're trying to win now. That makes sense. They should. They should try to win. That was always the plan. Try to win. However, this is not their best chance at a Super Bowl. This is not the end-all, be-all. So they are walking a line between – what's best for the team now, and what's best for the team next year. The last two years, they could punt on now. It was easier. Well, as long as it's better for the future, we're not worried about now. Now you're worried about both. Reasonably so, but that's harder. Mm -hmm. And all these little things, everything matters because there is hope. Because every little decision about Corey Coleman or Des Bryant or do you keep Jamie Collins or who's going to be the starting safety and how are you going to play the linebackers and are you putting Batonio at left tackle? Now Corbett's going to start as a rookie. And all these things, the way you move the pieces around the board, there are pieces. Yeah. There are pieces now. So yeah. the way you move them around the board is going to determine whether you win or not now and in the future. So all of a sudden, it matters now. It's great. There's hope. There's reason for hope. The, but the result is every decision is amplified. So I think that's why you and I – are going to keep talking about things like this Yep. because in the past it was like, well, who cares? They stink. And guess what? <laughs> that era, thankfully is over. We are past who cares? They stink. So the biggest thing I think along those lines, Chris, is this, what do you think is the correct balance of Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield? Is there a right way that this should happen, that Tyrod should start this many games and Baker makes his first start at this point? How much does it depend on the Browns' record? How much, how does, much does it matter how well Tyrod plays? I am open-minded on it. Mm-hmm. I don't have a particular plan. Just to me, the, the, the plan has to balance now and the future. You can't yeah. be hell-bent on, well, we're mathematically alive for a wild card, so Baker's never going to start a game right? 
and I don't know that I have faith in Hugh to walk that line. What's your view on the ideal way, knowing all the nuances matter, to handle the quarterback situation? Gosh, I think it's so complicated, Doug, yep. because I think it's uh, – there's so many different layers to it too. But, but I start with this. Like this team, the way that it is set up, um, I think there are similarities to the Buffalo team that, that Tyrod was able to get into the postseason, whereas it's not about him. And, and last year he was a part of it. He was the professional quarterback. When they went to Nathan Peterman, they went completely the other way. So having somebody out there who had an understanding of the offense, who wasn't going to make mistakes, um, and who wasn't really going to lose you games, uh, I thought that was important for Buffalo because their offense just functioned with LaShawn McCoy, and they had an opportunistic defense that could create sacks and create takeaways and win low-scoring games like that, and they had a pretty easy schedule. Um, so just the way that they were set up, like Tyrod didn't have to do a ton for them to be successful. There were other ways that they could go about winning games consistently. Um, I, I think the Browns should kind of be set up the same kind of way, where it's about the running game, it's about the defense, if they can take the leap into the top 10. They seem to have the components to be um, a very, very, very opportunistic defense and one that can put pressure on the quarterback and create turnovers and things like that. So um, you would think that not a lot is going to be placed on Tyrod. But at the same time, that brings you into, like, if, if that's how you're going to be set up, how do you know exactly when to move on from Tyrod into Baker Mayfield where you're looking for that extra jolt offensively or right. you're looking to raise your ceiling as an offense? Um, so to me, the way that they have to approach it, uh, they've already erred in this, I think. I, I thought it should have been a competition from the very beginning. They decided not to go that direction, and they decided to give the team to Tyrod. Um, and I think the way that the players react to him, the way that they talk about him, I don't think you can take that away because I think there's too much of a negative domino effect of that. So to me, this is Tyrod's team because they have made it that way and the players have bought into that. So they have to start with him. Um, but taking him out of the mix and finding the right time for Baker is very, very difficult given this setup that they've already created. Um, at the same time, Doug, like I have always been of the belief that these young quarterbacks, um, they really, really get better by actually experiencing it and mm -hmm. playing. And, and you, can, you can see things on the sideline, but like being on the field and experiencing it firsthand, like that's more important to me. So I think there has to be a point this year where they do go to Baker Mayfield for the betterment of him and the betterment of this franchise because he is the single most important player in this franchise. And whatever is best for him and whatever is best for this team and this franchise, not in 2018 here, but for the next 10 years, I think that's the way that they have to approach it. Um, and the best thing for this organization is get Baker some on-field work so that he can learn uh, firsthand how to be a professional quarterback, how to run an offense, how to read defenses, and all those different things. I think that has to be part of their thinking here. And I think it's, it's, it's one of those things, Chris, where if, if the Browns are 6-3, and three, 
you're going to say going into week 10, like, of course, Tyrod Taylor should be still be the starter. They're six and three. They're right in the middle of the playoff hunt. If they're mm-hmm. two and seven going into week 10, I think you probably say, listen, like we're not making the playoffs this year. Tyrod, thanks for your service, but we're going with Baker for week 10. My expectation is that it's going to be somewhere in between there. So I don't think it's going to be easy. Right. I don't think it's going to be an obvious thing. It's, if everybody in the locker room agrees, like, man, we're rolling. Why would you – you're not – no way you're taking Tyrod out. Or everybody agrees, you know what? Like, Tyrod's been okay, but six is lighting it up in practice every day. It's his time. Maybe you wind up in one of those two worlds, but I doubt it. I think it's in between, and I think I, – I hope there's not a way that this could be handled that somehow we actually are at the point where, like, two competent quarterbacks is a problem – so yeah. I, I don't think that's going to happen, that it's going to be an issue. But, man, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, and, and, look, if, if that situation presents itself, I think it's <laughs> probably a situation that Browns fans would sign up for uh, because they haven't uh, encountered that kind of situation over the last 10 to 15 years. Right. Um, but, but I just don't have faith that the guy who has to make that decision is going to make the proper one. And it kind of goes back to something that we talked about on this podcast already. And that's my biggest fear right now for the Browns. Chris Fuder, I'll tell you what. I think you should try radio. <laughs> pretty good at this. Keep I'll try that on the side. Yeah. Um, Fedor, thanks for the time, man. We'll talk again soon. You got it, brother. I appreciate it. And that's it for another Takes by the Lake. I said earlier, read my stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. That's old habit. That's my Ohio State stuff, but I write about everybody now. So just find me. Just look, just Google French guy at cleveland.com. Cleveland.com French guy. Um, thanks, you guys, for listening. If you guys have suggestions of guests you want to hear on here, send them to me. Find me on Twitter at Doug Lamarice, D-O-U-G-L-E-S-M-E-R-I-S-E-S. Email me. Uh, D-L-E-S-M-E-R-I-S-E-S at cleveland.com. Good interaction with you guys. Um, I appreciate, you know, everything uh, um, you have when you express your opinions to me. There's a lot going on with Ohio State that people are emailing me about. That's great. Um, if You know, the more emails I get about the Browns or anything else I'm writing about, I appreciate it. It makes me better to hear what you guys are thinking. Uh, interaction on Twitter is great, um, even with the people in Buffalo. Who, who are angry um, that the Browns have a better quarterback room than the Bills do. That's just real talk. And I have a feeling we will revisit that because guess who plays on next Friday? Bills and Browns. Bills and Browns. Wear a helmet if you're going in the stands because Josh, Hel- Josh Allen's going to be throwing footballs. Um, head up. Keep your heads up, people. Thanks for listening to Takes by the Lake. I'm Doug Maurice, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.